I would like to welcome everybody to another episode of the House of Bricks podcast, where we are teaching people to use life's experiences for them. And yes, I'm going to be that podcast host that says I'm very excited to have a special guest today. I would like to welcome Wayne Simeon to the House of Bricks. Yes, and, and let's set the table as well. For, for my end, context-wise, this isn't a host-guest type relationship that we have right here. This is a brotherhood that you and I uh, have experienced for over 15 years, and now we're allowing people to listen in and to experience that. And so this is so much more than just an interview. This is a, this is a conversation that's filled you know, with love, experience, and some highs and lows. So this is going to be as real as it gets up until this point for your listeners. Well, I do want to start off, though. We're talking to CEOs, business leaders, professional athletes, and you were actually a part of an entrepreneurial experience that changed my life. So I don't know if you know this, but you and I rented a fishing boat in <laughs> Key Biscayne, and I think we spent close to $1,000 chartering the boat. We absolutely dominated the ocean, filled the boat with fish, and somehow the captain of the boat convinced us that we did not want the mahi-mahi, and so we left it with him, and I don't know why we went back. I think maybe you forgot your wallet or something on the boat, so we leave pounds and pounds of fish with this captain. You and I leave. And we go back and the captain has set up what I would call an advanced Kool-Aid stand, but it's a fish market <laughs> with everything that we just caught selling it at $12 a pound. So yes. that man has inspired me for years, just making the most of any opportunity and how to monetize things multiple times. So he charges for the boat. And then he's slinging fish at ten to twelve dollars a pound. So, yeah, it, it was so funny, man. I, I remember that like it was yesterday, and the the shock, and the the frustration, and the disdain that we had when we went back and saw uh, that that dry erase board outside of his boat that said fifteen to twenty dollars a pound for the fish that we just caught. And you'd mentioned size, and and, and you were pretty jacked back then. The house of bricks is not about living off of yesterday's success, but it's more of a movement of where people are going to go. However, I would like to set the table a little bit just to talk about your personal experience, your journey, and what I truly appreciate about you is that it didn't just stop with one gifting the game of basketball, but you've continued to progress in life and grow in life. So Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and when you first fell in love with, with the game of basketball. Yeah, well, I was raised in an industrious uh, blue-collar town. It was an army town called Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and I absolutely loved my upbringing there. Number one, I had, I had two, two parents that had been married 40-plus years. They worked in a factory there, Hallmark Cards, for 40-plus for years. The key ingredients towards me pursuing basketball, discipline, hard work, being coached. And so uh, once I was able to kind of pair that upbringing 
with my love for basketball, there was able to be some some really big dividends that would happen pretty fast uh, because of that. And so transitioning into a, an opportunity to be able to play at the, the only university that I've really wanted to go to, University of Kansas, one of the, the all-time blue blood programs in college basketball and, and play for Coach Roy Williams, uh, who was there for two years and Coach Self for two years. I know we'll get into talking about some coaches a little bit later on. So a lot of our listeners are parents and this generation of parenting athletes, it's become very complex and it's also become very expensive. And I know growing up, you, you had great parents that are applying discipline, character. How much pressure did they put on you to perform as an athlete, the sacrifices they're making? Did they kind of leave it in your own hands or did they really hold you accountable? Was it more how you acted around the house and being responsible there? Like walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And, and uh, they did a great job in that. And, and I've got uh, five kids that are engaged in sports, just like, just like your boys are some volleyball and football and some basketball players. And the one thing that I do appreciate about uh, my parents and helping me through that, that youth sports journey, which I'm still using now is, is there was never any pressure. But uh, there was accountability, uh, meaning if if I did a book report on uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up, and if I said NBA player, my parents would then come back to me and say, hey, are you willing to do the work and to show the commitment that's necessary for you to be able to achieve this? Because if not, you're not allowed to say that. Okay, you're not allowed to hand this book report in or you're not allowed to hand this, you know, Hey, what do you want to be? You grow up SAN unless you're willing to put the put the work in, which I appreciated. And then, you know, as you progress into to higher levels of, of youth athletics, uh, cost goes up, right? The cost of time, uh, the monetary cost for you know equipment and travel and coaching and tournaments. Uh, and my parents were factory workers, right? I didn't grow up with lack, but we didn't grow up with, with a lot of extra. And I can remember, you know, it only took one tournament where I showed up and I wasn't that into it and I was kind of going through the motions. I was kind of being the cool guy. And I remember my dad blowing me up in the car. And this is the only time he ever blew me up. It wasn't over bad performances. Right? It wasn't over you know anything production related. But he said this. He said, boy, if I'm going to take off work, all right, if I'm going to give my hard-earned money all right, to help bring you here to this tournament, you better bring your hard work ethic every single game. And, you know, my dad's a big guy like me, and it was, it was pretty intimidating. I can still remember the, 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 the tears welling up in my eye because he was absolutely right. And I'm so thankful that he held me accountable, you know, to that. And it only took one conversation like that to realize that the opportunities that are being afforded to me uh, are, are at the expense and the hard work and the sacrifice of my parents. And that at the very least, I owe them effort, concentration, focus, going the extra mile. Uh, when it came to those things. And, and that's the same standard that, that I try to hold my kids to at now as they're in their youth athletic experience. Now, I met your dad before, and he also just has this intimidation factor. It's like, he doesn't have to say anything. You just know, like, if I push the wrong button, things are, he's the nicest guy in the world, super quiet. I'm like, but if I push the wrong button, things are going to go south. And I'm not going to end up on top. Like that's just <laughs> like the yeah. presence. And, and, and he's, got, he's got some laser eyes too. You know, the laser eyes that I've felt 
So he doesn't have to say much, but he's, he's got the laser eyes that speak a, a thousand words. So you mentioned something that is actually applicable in all areas of life, especially for from a leadership standpoint, is how do you balance accountability and positive pressure versus creating an environment of fear? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. And, um, you know, one thing that I think is really helpful uh, in that is in whether you're communicating it to uh, a team of uh, salespeople that you're that you're leading, whether you're communicating it to your kids, whether you're communicating it uh, to a youth sports program that you're coaching, is the reality. Expect things to be hard, right? Expect things to be disciplined. It's like, look, the good things in life, winning, the, the great job, championship trophies, like they don't come easy. And guess what? Everybody on the planet wants to attain those types of things. And so it's an extremely competitive environment. It should be hard. It is hard. Uh, it, the preparation leading up to it has to match the high stakes and the high competitiveness of, of the event uh, and the moment. I know we don't want to spend a ton of time on the past, but I do want to talk about your time at the University of Kansas. So if I recall correctly, you started getting visibility around your sophomore junior year of high school and basketball. You said University of Kansas was the only place that you want to go. Tell us a little bit about your career there and some of the coaches that you played for. Yeah, yeah, I had a, an incredible career that, that exceeded my expectations. And a lot of that had less to do with, with my uh, individual ability and more to do with the teams that I was on. Um, you know, anything of any value or significance that I've accomplished in my life has been because I was a part of a team. Uh, it's been because, and, and this is still not necessarily a mantra, but like some core values I live by. Hey, having a coach, being a part of a team, and having a training regimen. So when I was there, you know, I played with some phenomenal guys, guys that were, you know, All-Americans and, and, and Players of the Year, and guys that showed me the ropes when I was there, when I was a, when I was a freshman, played for two Hall of Fame coaches, Roy Williams and, and Bill Self, and had a, had a ton of success in, in one of the toughest conferences in, in, in college basketball and, and three Big 12 conference championships and back-to-back Final Fours. And, you know, we lost, I would say, the most important thing that took place during that, that time at KU was actually became a Christian. Um, you know, up until that point, my first 20 years of my life, my identity and my worth and my value had all been wrapped up in basketball, had all been wrapped up in you know, the applause and the approval of people, had all been wrapped up in how I performed, had all been wrapped up in my hope to reach an NBA dream. And, you know, there's so many highs and lows that came with that. On the inside, I was left broken and bored, longing for something greater to live for than myself in basketball. And I'm thankful that I had some older guys take me under their wing and, and, and show me a better way to live. And I became a Christian. July 12, 2003, that, that was at the end of my sophomore year, and, and my identity got freed up. My identity was found in Christ, and I don't think it's any accident that after that was the best years of performance that I had on the court because I wasn't playing for the applause of people, a contract, a future contract, or you know stats and awards, but I was thankful for the Lord, and, and uh, that really shaped my basketball career more than anything. Well, I appreciate you sharing that about your faith, and we we share that faith in common and kind of going through that moment in time where you realize I could have everything 
and still have nothing. And what you accomplished as a basketball player and fulfilling your lifelong dream, like how many kids out there want to play basketball at the University of Kansas? How many kids out there want to be a McDonald's All-American? How many kids want their jersey hanging in in the rafters? And it's just really encouraging to hear you say that. And whatever pinnacle people are trying to reach, and I've experienced this, like when you get there, it's kind of like, what was that all about? And, and what you obtain is, you know, is it really worth it? And I appreciate you sharing that experience with us, just backing up a little bit. So you talked about the environments that you were playing in as an athlete, and you talked about your teammates. What gets a team and teammates to to follow a teammate? Obviously, the coach is in charge or your boss is in charge or whatever, but what characteristics do those team leaders have that are able to attract their teammates and get them to kind of establish in a captain role or, or whatever it is? Yeah, well, you know, when I think about that, you know, I think leadership is, is everyone's responsibility on any team or organization that you're in. I think that the leadership that often goes overlooked that needs to take place and happen first is self-leadership. How are you leading and governing yourself? How are you showing and displaying discipline and, and core values and, and habits uh, in a way that helps your individual life flourish in a way that when people see it, they then actually say, hey, that qualifies that person for me to then trust them and to follow them as a leader. Uh, and so I think a lot of times, um, you know, people kind of put the cart before the horse and think about, hey, I just show up to this organization or team. I need to think about how am I going to lead others, where a lot of times those people are looking to see, wait a minute, how is it that you lead yourself uh, first? And, uh, and is that producing fruit in your life? And is it showing a, a version of, of trustworthiness for other people to submit their lives uh, under, under your leadership? And so I think, I think that's very important. You know, I can remember transitioning in from being, uh, you know, uh, McDonald's All-American, Gatorade Player of the Year in high school. And then coming to the University of Kansas, and so basically that credibility had been nullified. Uh, they weren't looking at my resume that took place in high school. They're like, hey, man, let me see how you lead yourself right now. Hey, let me see how you can go the extra mile when things are, when things are tough. And I would say that that very same thing has been consistent for my transition into college and to the NBA. And then even my transition from the NBA to being an entrepreneur, you know, running my own nonprofit for 13 years. And now even in my transition from someone that ran their own nonprofit to now being in a huge kind of corporate structure. So I think those things have been consistent. So you had a successful career at University of Kansas. You get drafted by the Miami Heat. Talk to us a little bit about your experience in the NBA versus college and what it was like to, to win a championship with the Miami Heat and then love to get into some of the coaching that you've experienced over your career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a credible experience, you know, to reach a, a childhood dream, to be considered uh, one of the best in the world, something for, for a small period of time. Uh, but it was extremely hard, extremely difficult. There's a reason why there's only been, you know, 5,000 players to ever step on the NBA court, you know, in the last, you know, 70, 80 years that the NBA has been in existence. And so it's a, it was extremely hard to get there. It's even more difficult to be successful there, and um, but but I did learn a lot, and it was a, it was a great experience. My career did 
take a pretty big transition in the sense that up until that point, I'd always had a ton of success. I'd always been the starter. I'd always been the center of attention. I'd always gotten, uh, you know, the most uh, the most shots and, and things like that. Well, when you're playing with D-Wade, Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, perennial all-stars, guess what? The attention and the touches are going to shift pretty significantly. And so there really had to be a shift in my mind as well in terms of, hey, what my role was going to be. You know, in that, and I, and I turned into to a role player. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to to stay healthy uh, to really be as productive as I hoped, uh, which is why I was buried at the end of the bench, you know, next to you with your court side seats. But uh, but it was great to be able to to know that even as I was kind of in that environment, right, buried at the end of the bench, a role player to still just like have an antenna up for, hey, how can I make the most out of this experience? And, and I really feel like Adam. There's no way that you and I would have become the lifelong friends that we are, the valuable colleagues that we are, because we, look great. We, got, we got a friendship, right? But we also have a professional relationship where we really sharpen and challenge each other in that. And I don't think that would have been, been possible had I been buried at the end of the bench, hulking and in my feelings and sad and upset because my role wasn't what I wanted it to be. I was trying to be the best teammate I could be. And then I had my antenna up for, hey, what are some other things that are going around me, on around me in this environment, you know, that can be that could be beneficial, that could be mutually beneficial to me and to other people. And that's where our relationship started and um, and, 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 and has gone gone on since. Let's talk a little bit about the coaching that you've experienced, because, as you know, right now, what I feel is doing what I was really created to do. And it took God 45 years to write my story. And I feel like the next X number of years, it's my job to, to tell it and how the ups and the downs and the anxiety and the sleepless nights and the fear and all of the things that we all go through in life. It's, it's good to hear that other people have those challenges too, and how to use those ex experiences as a positive for growth. So Talk to me a little bit about the coaches that you, you've played for, a couple key takeaways that are applicable to our audience and business and life, and then we'll get into a question and answer. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and before I get into uh, kind of the, the, the resume or the list of, of incredible coaches that I've, I've had a chance to, to play for, I can't undersell the importance and the need to to have a coach or to be coached and when i say that I, i'm i'm expanding that far beyond just the realm of athletics uh even now as, as a 40 year old guy you know married 17 years and a family i i go out of my way to make sure that i have older guys that are just a little bit further down the road than me uh you know to coach me in my marriage to coach me in my parenting to coach me in my uh handling my finances to coach me in uh you know my business dealings as a, as, a, as a sports executive like find a coach like get someone that can you know set the bar high for you get someone that can speak wisdom and insight into your life get someone in your life that could be real and raw and vulnerable and authentic uh, get someone that's going to tell you the truth our truths uh because uh i can't tell you you know how how much of an accelerator that is and leadership and success. And so I experienced that first, you know, in, in the basketball scenario. So again, you know, got a chance to play for Coach Roy Williams, Hall of Fame coach, 400 wins at two different 
Blue Blood uh, schools at Kansas and North Carolina, and then like three national championships. And so one of the things that I appreciated about him uh, so much is that, as I think back about, about his leadership is that he had uh, some uh, a non-negotiable like culture and set of values that, that he structured his teams around that he would not budge from. Um, a lot of that came to do with the type of staff that he would bring on. It also had to do with the type of talent that he would recruit. And if they didn't fit into those non-negotiables, even if they were some of the most talented people in the world, he would not budge from that. Uh, a great example of that is, is that uh, when we bring recruits in, it's the current player's job and responsibility to host that recruit, to give them an experience of, hey, this is what it's like to play here at this school. You know, this is what the campus and the, and the environment's like. Well, we had one guy who was, I think he might have been the number one player at his position, top 10 player in the country. And you could just tell immediately that this guy's attitude and his disposition towards team and, and overarching goals, like, wasn't going to align well with what we had already had here. It was all about him. This place was just a stepping stone for him to get to the NBA. And, and even though he was a really talented high school recruit, I remember several of us went to Coach Williams and said, hey, Coach, we don't really feel like this guy's the right fit. And again, we're 19 years old and we're going to approach, you know, a, a Hall of Fame coach saying, hey, Coach, what will fit? And one of the incredible things was like, hey, I trust and I believe you guys. You know the core values and the standards we have set. I'm not going to offer this guy a scholarship. Really? Wait, what? Like, no, you already have him on campus. If you bring a guy on campus of that type of talent, you offer him a scholarship. And he didn't offer him the scholarship. And, and the guy went on somewhere else. And we had a bunch of success without him. And so that was something I really appreciate. And so as you're thinking about talent acquisition, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, like, is it the right person? Is it the right fit? Are there, is there alignment with your core values? And, and you hear the theme of, hey, getting the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. Like, those type of things are really true and weighty. Something that I appreciate about Coach Self, who, who I played for for two years and who's the current coach at Kansas now and, you know, two national championships and the all-time winningest program in D1 history. He has a standard of toughness that is, is unlike any that I've ever seen. A standard and expectation toughness and goes down to his conditioning boot camp. It goes down to the, to the practices every single day that he hosts. He wants the preparation to be way tougher than the actual big moment itself. There's no excuses. There's no type of or manner of, of guys where they can, uh, they can tap out or bow out to that. And uh, like his, his standard and expectation for toughness, mental toughness, uh, physical toughness is is just off the charts. And, and what happens in that is, is you take maybe teams that are average and ordinary, and because of their toughness, they're able to overachieve in, in incredible ways. And, you know, we just recently won the, the national championship in, in 2022. Uh, and when you take and look at the teams that Coach Self had over his 20-year career here just at Kansas, talent-wise, that team that won the national championship was not our most talented team. All right, but it was one of our teams that was the toughest, and they're the most bought in uh, to the difficult things that coach required of them every single day. And so, and so that was great. So I got a couple other coaches, but I, I'll stop kind of right there, just in case there's anything that you want to ask or, or, or follow up with that. Well, what you said about Coach Self really applies to what you said earlier, right? Which is how are you leading yourself? And he created an environment where that was just an expectation. You need to 
handle yourself, do the work. He created the accountability. So I, I think that's very applicable to our listeners, which is focus on yourself and then you can give out of and lead out of the overflow and it's natural and it's authentic and it's not an extra thing you're, like, you're trying to do is to try to be a leader. If you're doing the right things, leading yourself, then it's just, like I said, going to be given out of the overflow of who you are. And, and I think that creates the collective buy-in. So you can go ahead on with the next coach that you played for. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you said that. And, you know, another thing that came to mind as you were, you were sharing that is to don't think that there wasn't a day when I was playing for Coach Self that I didn't want to quit. I, do, I wanted to quit every single day. And there was something about, there's something about having to face that every day. And when you get to the threshold of wanting to quit, and then you just say, you know what, to hell with that. I'm pushing past this. I'm going forward. I'm not tapping out. Like it builds a grit and resiliency in you, confidence in you that just stays with you forever. And then it's even interesting now, you know, I, have, I haven't played for Coach Self for 20 years. We work together every day, but, but I, I haven't played. But still, to this day, the standard is a standard for me. I need to do something every single day that makes me want to quit. Whether, you know, it's a physical workout, whether it's continued education, learning, reading, whether it's, you know, doing simple mundane chores around the house to help my wife. Like, every day I'm looking to attack something that makes me want to quit. And I'm saying, you know what, to hell with that. I'm going to dominate this thing. And, and just as a leader, it's really helped me. And so I, I would really encourage the listeners here, like, hey, what is that for you? Like, and if you don't have it, you got it. You got to go find it, and you have to find something that causes you to want to shrink back and tap out. Uh, but you just you you push through that. Well, what would you say? What's that for you, Adam? Do you have? Because I know I know you well enough to know that you've had several of those type of instances when it comes to to your success as as a business leader. What what have been some of those stories and instances in in your career? In reference to business, look, I'm going through it right now. With the House of Bricks podcast, I've gone through it in every business. And if you think about my career, it wasn't like I grew up playing basketball and then became a professional basketball player. Like as a career, each of my businesses have been in different industries of which I have absolutely zero background in. So I dropped out of college started a direct marketing company. I didn't have a background in direct marketing. Started a technology company. I can't write a line of code. Started a healthcare analytics business, had no background in healthcare. And what I've been able to do is recognize the patterns in business. And it's the same as in athletics. It's the things that you do every day consistently over time. It's not rocket science. Like the things that I'm assuming Coach Self and Coach Williams and Coach Riley, like it is doing the basics. It's doing the fundamentals. You watch guys like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Yes, they do these amazing things with the basketball, but they also have the best footwork you've ever seen. The best. So it's, it's those little things that once you have that strong foundation, then you can start to build and do some of that creativity. But even starting this uh, podcast, uh, you know me very well. 
the most difficult podcast I've done is the the last one, which is talking about myself. So I'm even, I don't say getting out of my comfort zone anymore. It's stretching my comfort zone. I'm trying to expand who I am and use my story, not to be a memoir about me, but how can I inspire other people? So I'm waking up now I'm on this 3.30 a.m. wake up thing. This is how I get in, in startup mode. So Vanessa's really enjoying that. And it's so funny because I can't see anything in the dark. So I try to pack my bag in the morning. And of course, I forget one thing. I'm stumbling over this, turning the light on in the bathroom. And it's you know 3.30 in the morning. So man, we, we all face it every day. And I, I think the what separates those who are successful and not is how they're able to process it. I just take every day, every moment as an opportunity to continue to build towards the future. And I really want to inspire the world. It's very difficult the more you achieve in life to try new things. And this is what I really appreciate about you is I've watched you evolve uh, to being way more than a basketball player. You're not uh, living off of yesterday's success, but you're trying to be a better husband, a better better father, uh, a better person, and now helping you know grow in your position at the University of Kansas. So it's been an honor to to watch you do that because a lot of players they they or even in business you have that one success. And then how do you repeat it over time? I know this is what separates me from a lot of the executive coaches out there is that I've lived it. I've woken up in a pool of sweat. I've had white knuckles trying to come up with uh, payroll on a Friday. Uh, so I've lived all of those things. And as you mentioned earlier, the coaching, they provide that accountability, discipline, and the encouragement of just knowing someone that's been where you want to go. It is it is the one hack outside of doing the small things consistently over time is find someone that is where you want to be. I have always sought counsel in my marriage, like seeing people. I don't want to read a book or go to a counselor that just got a divorce. I'm looking for people that have been married 40, 50, 60 years. Like, the, like how did they do that? Uh, how have they started and exited businesses? So in those moments, even now, where I'm facing, do I give in to the doubt and fear or do I overcome it? Yeah. Man, a couple of things you said there I, I really liked that make me think of the next coach. You talked about fundamentals. You talked about helping others or raising up the next generation. And you talked about like finding the coach to motivate you uh, and to encourage you. And, and when you said those three things, my mind, like Pat Riley, right? Pat Riley, an icon in the NBA space, any coaching space and any executive space. And, you know, you talk about fundamentals, bro. When we won the world championship in 2006, we start out training camp with stationary ball handling, form shooting, and three-man weave. After we had just won the title. And we're looking around, we got, you know, four Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers on that roster 
and we start out back to the basics, boys. You know, and so because you never outgrow the fundamentals, um, you know, and that that that's in anything. So I'm so glad that that you talked about that. And you know, probably one of the more impressive things to me uh, about Coach Riley is that even after that championship and along the way, he had a young coach that you could tell he was grooming to be the next guy. Uh, you could tell he was grooming him in a way that. Uh, he gave him some significant, significant responsibilities. I'm so glad you brought up Eric Spolstra because that is exactly the the way that I have also built my companies and even launched this podcast, which is finding people that had the desire and the will and the work effort I value way over experience. And when I started this podcast, I had the opportunity to go with these agencies and had all the platform. And I went the other route, which is finding people that were passionate about what we were doing, creating the environment for them to grow and develop. And it's just been amazing to see the progress of our video production, the social media content that we're putting out. So love my team that I put together here. And it's kind of that same environment that we're creating to, again, see people with will and passion and desire to grow. And you can cultivate that and they can learn anything, but it's it's having that desire and passion. I know there's one other coach that you wanted to talk about today, and then we're going to flip the script and go ahead and ask me whatever questions you want. Yeah, well, thanks for, for carving out a little extra time for this. And, and this is a coach that, that I didn't play for, but um, I had a, an encounter with him not too long ago that 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 was pretty transformative for me. And it was it was his, the coach's name is Larry Brown. Uh, so Larry Brown, another coaching icon in the in the basketball circle, one of the few coaches to win a NCAA national championship and a NBA world championship. So won '88 with Danny and the Miracles here at KU, and then um, you know went on to win with your Detroit Pistons. Uh, with, with with Chauncey and Ben Wallace and Rip Hamilton, and then it was at, at Philly with AI for all those years, which was uh, which was great as I was coming up with it, was a huge fan of that. So, anyways, he's coached at every level of basketball, immense amount of success, and he, uh, several years back, he he kind of hit a lull where um, you know he wasn't uh, sitting in the head chair, and he came back to Kansas, and he was watching practice and taking notes. So he had a yellow legal pad courtside at one of our practices. And so went up to say, hey, welcome back, Coach, man. Great to see you. You know, you know, what have you been learning? Who have you been watching? Because I'm thinking about with his coaching tree, he's got dozens of guys in the NBA. He's got dozens of guys at the top level programs in college basketball, like John Calipari is one of the disciples. He played at North Carolina. So Larry Brown is someone who could walk into any basketball setting anywhere and people would be happy that, hey, come talk to the team, take notes, watch practice, whatever. So I asked him where he'd been going, thinking he's going to say, hey, I've been at the San Antonio Spurs, hey, I've been in Kentucky, hey, I've been in North Carolina. And he starts feeling back pages and pages of this yellow legal pad. And he says this, Wayne, I've watched more high school basketball than I ever have in my entire career. Man, look at all these wonderful things I'm learning from these young high school coaches. And he's feeling back pages and pages and pages of notes from high school coaches. I'm sitting there thinking like, wait a minute, like, let, 
This is Larry Brown. Like any high school coach in the country would pay him gobs of money to sit at his feet and to learn from him. You mean to tell me you've been going to watch high school basketball practice? Oh, yeah, and I've been learning so much. And, and, and something happened to me there in that moment, Adam. Um, and it was, it, it was this. It wasn't that, oh, yeah, you know, Coach Brown is, is really enamored with basketball. That's all he knows, so he's got to be around it. But, it was, it, no, it was this. The thought was this. This guy is a lifelong learner, right? He was advanced in his career. He was advanced in the success and his accomplishments. But it did not disconnect or there was no discontinuation of his need and his ability and his hunger to be a learner. Uh, and and it, it, it changed something. And so it's like, wow, if this guy can do that, I need to be a lifelong learner. Okay, and then what intentional mechanisms am I going to put in place to make sure that I'm continuing to learn, grow, and sharpen the axe in every area of life? And I think about that so often, and I got to be really intentional about that in the terms of, of resources that I'm looking for, Ops of Bricks being one of those, um, among other things. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, in addition to being a lifelong learner, are there a couple things that you're doing? right now like give us one or two things for our listeners because again i hope people are hearing this we're talking about some of the greatest coaches to ever walk the face of the earth greatest athletes to ever play like you mentioned it's kind of mind-blowing to think about there's only been five thousand, you know plus or minus nba players over the history of the nba like the the statistics of making it are 99.9 percent not going to make it. And what you're sharing with us is focusing on the basics, discipline, accountability, lifelong learning. Are there one or two things that you're doing now that are helping you be a lifelong learner? Because right now there's so much information out there. I can read thousands of books. I can look up anything on the internet. Like, where do I start? What are a couple things that I could do to, to really be a lifelong learner? Yeah, no. And uh, man, thanks for asking that. And of course, I, I, you know, you got to consume those things. You've got to read, you've got to research. Self-admittedly, because of, of uh, dyslexia, reading isn't my best version of learning. But that doesn't mean that it gives me an excuse not to do that. All right. So I do have, you know, books. I'm actually taking a, uh, a series of free online courses uh, called uh, Monday Church, which basically helps you to integrate your faith and your daily work uh, together. And it's, you know, free online course through through Forum Deo. And, and I'm actually working my way uh, through that. And of course, there's, there's incredible leadership books uh, that I have to get a chance to, to read and get exposed to as well. Uh, I'm actually in the case where in the in the in this in the season of life right now, where because of the unique kind of career, I'm going from a career business-wise where basically ran my own nonprofit. It was a mom and pop shop, you know, per se, 40 employees, maybe $3 million budget, uh, quick and agile, reactive. You know, I make one decision, you know, our other board makes one decision and it happens like that. Now I'm transitioning into like this huge um, industrious machine, like this huge corporate machine you know, 500 employees, $100 million budget. We got a $400 million raise coming up. You know, it's going it's to be north of that. And then uh, things don't move nearly as fast, uh, you know. And then 
it's pretty public. And so there are a lot of people that think they can do your job better than you. And so like I'm needing to learn how to deal with that. And now I'm actually seeking out a couple of peers that, that are well versed in that type of industry. And I'm asking questions. I'm learning. I'm, I'm having lunches. I'm needing to hear their scenarios. I'm, I'm coming to lunch with a legal pad of questions to intentionally ask them. And we're just engaging in dialogue very, very regularly. Uh, you, John Wright's one of those guys. You know, John Wright, he, he's an executive at, at, a, at a global engineering firm, spending a lot of time uh, with guys like that. And, and, and look, and I just want to say this, like being intentional in this way costs you something, right? It costs time. But everyone says they're busy. And this is what I think about busyness. It doesn't exist. Why? Everybody's busy, right? What the reality is, is you make time for what you value the most, right? Can we, can we agree about that? And so if you see these things are, are, are valuable in your leadership and how you're caring for other people, then you're going to carve out time. You're going to wake up at 3 a.m., okay? You're going to, you know, do classes over lunch. You're going to get the kids to bed early so you can stay up maybe a little later and knock out one or two or three chapters, you know, before, before you go to bed. You're going to carve out time and create space. Uh, to be able to sharpen the axe. And so just for, you know, the leaders and the entrepreneurs out there, you know, don't buy into this, this falsehood of busyness. Everybody's busy. There's always going to be things encroaching on your time and on your calendar, but, but fight and make time for, for what you value the most. Can't add anything to that other than, boys, if you're listening, my kids, which I'm now getting them to listen to my podcast, even they, they liked my post that, yeah, they, they liked uh, one of my posts on Instagram yesterday, so I made my day with my own kids. They're, they're the toughest, toughest critics. So I want to turn the mic over to you, trust you enough to ask me whatever questions you want. So open book, I'm ready. As long as I've known you, it's been really impressive to see sustained success. Uh, you know, I think I we, we first met in Miami. I think maybe you you had sold your first company by then. You were in the the early stages of, of starting your next, and then of course now we're you know 15 years removed. You've done that several times over in all those different industries that you talked about, while you know shaping and forming a, a thriving uh, marriage and family. Like, what are some key ingredients along the way? Look, because I asked a question in. The, the thought that like flash in a pan success no longer impresses me. Like I feel like anybody can do that. Anybody can have, you know, a nice little run, you know, a good little season, maybe a good little three, three-year window where they're firing on all cylinders. But what's more impressive to me now is people that have been able to do it in the long haul. You know, multiple times, different environments, different locations. And so um, and I think it'd be important, you know, for me as a, as a learner, but also for, for your audience to hear from you. And man, what have been some key ingredients for you in that journey of sustained success, but also sustained holistic success, right? Not just in business, not just in your family, but like holistic success. So I appreciate you asking that. And to talk about the holistic success first, I married the right person because to go through life as an entrepreneur, whenever you're pursuing something, whenever you have a gain in one area, there's going to be a loss in another. And what has really helped me 
and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but now looking back is recognizing what season you are in and what tools you need to be successful. And so if you are building a business, you need the self-awareness to say, I'm going to lean into my business and there's going to be an impact in other areas of my life. So it's communication, uh, which I've also grown in over 20 years of marriage, like how to communicate. All right, I am starting a new business. I am going to lean into this business. Vanessa, this is going to impact our time. So it's just like you said, we all have 365 days in a year. So saying you don't have the time, uh, we all have the same number of hours, minutes, and seconds in a day. So it's being intentional about setting time that we're going to spend together. So it's quality over quantity. When I'm in that building season, I just have to have the self-awareness of the impact that it's going to have on me personally, what it's going to be for my family. And there's nothing wrong with leaning into those seasons. There's times when you have to lean into your family. Like, hey, you've got to invest more time and prioritize your marriage or your time with your kids over the business. And so it's what season am I in and what tools do I need uh, to be successful? I think that that has uh, really sustained me over time. To me, looking at your life, it seems like you are functioning at your highest capacity as a business leader when your home life is stable and thriving. Is, is that accurate? Like when, when Vanessa and the boys are in a good place, when they're settled, when, when you're communicating well, when you encourage relationships well, you're going out of your way to, have to, to date, pursue your wife, the boys are solid. And that frees you up in, in your headspace, maybe not necessarily like time-wise, but it frees your headspace up to then be more effective in the, the, the work that you're doing. And am I missing it in, in assessing that and in, in how you've uh, been able to operate like that? I get that phone call. And if I'm not in a good place, I'm coming home and things are hitting the fan. Because if you're mistreating mom, you're being disrespectful. I see what she's doing day in, day out. Like, there's there's times I come home and I and I'm losing it. So if I don't have the right foundation, I can't lead my business. I can't lead my family. Yeah, man, that's that's so good. And 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 I agree with you in the the work life balance. Um, you know that as well. And I I don't see it as a balance. I see it really. It's all one thing. Like at least to me, it's all it's all woven. It's all integrated together. And kind of to 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 what I was. Uh, asking about earlier when my when my home life is in its its best i'm at my best at work but at the same time um my my wife and my family also need to be aware of the rhythms of work that i'm in uh meaning hey you know the the season where it's uh, you know november you know to march all right this is a pretty intense time for me Okay, and so uh, there needs to be a reasonable expectation of understanding that, hey, when I'm home, I want to be fully present, but there's going to be more required of me at times, whether it's travel, whether it's maybe having to take the phone call, the email while, while I'm at home. And, and uh, you know, I think that word expectations is, is really, really important when it comes to yourself, when it comes to your family, when it comes to those you're working with. You know, first of all, there need to be communicated expectations, you know, for, for whatever season of life. 
there need to be agreed upon expectations, not just assuming that because uh, we've been through this season of life before or that we communicate the expectations that, hey, that, that, that they're on board with it. No, these are the expectations, the communicated ones. These are the agreed upon expectations. And then you need to revisit it as a measure of accountability for celebration when expectations are either met or when they're not met. Um, and so I think that's so valuable just across the, the, the leadership spectrum is those three things when it comes to, to expectations. And I also think it's important because we're really good about bringing up expectations that aren't met. That usually causes conflict or bickering. But you need to celebrate the expectations that have been met because the reality exists that you get more of what you celebrate. And I'm finding that out even with, with my kids. Um, you know, you, the, the things that you celebrate and that you value, that you esteem, like it, it produces, uh, you know, repetitions, you know, from that or people that want to, to go and pursue and to see that happen over and over and over again because they felt like they were awarded, um, you know, at some type of uh, experience. And so, yeah, those expectations are, are really important. And it got me thinking about that as you were, you were describing that for your life. Yeah, I've definitely grown a lot as a leader over time and grown a lot as a communicator. When I started my first business, it was the Iron Fist. I, I remember I had two sales guys that kept showing up late to sales meetings. And finally, one day I said, you guys want to act like children? I'll treat you like children. So I made them sit in the hallway and face the wall or I threatened to fire them. So, and they were making a lot of money at the time. So they were 21, 22 year old kids. One guy was a waiter or the other guy worked in the church bookstore and they came in, got in that environment, like you said, with Pat Riley and Spolstra, just doing, following the process. And they started making six figures pretty quickly. So I kind of had the golden you know, handcuffs, but, uh, same way in my marriage, I used to say, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you're wrong and I'm right. And so it was kind of like, what you're saying are your feelings and what I say is right. That didn't go very well with an Italian wife. So we've, we've grown in our communication as well. So I think what you're saying here and what we're is celebrating along the way because I have reached the mountaintop many times. And when you get there, it's kind of, well, was that really worth it? And it's never what you thought it would be. And where I have gained the most strength in my life personally is in the valley, is how you're kind of in that place of redeveloping your identity, uh, you're growing, you're getting the tools you need uh, for the next season. And a lot of people want to rush out of that in-between stage. And really, that is where you have the most personal growth. Hey, I just, I just wrote this down. Uh, it was important uh, to me when you said that you talked about reaching the mountaintop and, and celebrating. I've been on, on that mountaintop before, and I've had the opportunity either to celebrate by myself or to celebrate with a team of people and it is always, always more fulfilling and rewarding when you get a chance to celebrate with other people, right? And that can't happen by you just steamrolling and stepping on people so you get all the credit or so you close the deal or so you have the biggest salary. And I remember this, this happened my, my senior year. 
you know, in college where I was, you know, Big 12 player of the year, first team All-American, you know, best in my position group was, I think I took third for national player of the year. So anyways, our team had lost. We got upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But I was still kind of going on like this little awards tour, like collecting all these like individual awards. And I was absolutely miserable, miserable. And, and I was like, wait, what? I'm, I'm on my, going around by myself, collecting these awards and getting these tours. And it's going to help my draft stock and things like, but I was miserable because I was doing all this stuff by myself. Like I would have much rather been hoisting a trophy together with 12 other guys who we had been in the fight with than me going to collect some little individual trophy, you know, for my individual accomplishments. And so you've got some people to celebrate with, to share it with, pass along with, and, and that's where that's far more rewarding than, than the other side of that. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I, what I'm taking from what you just said is that you and I need to celebrate this podcast because it is complete. So I am going to hop on the next plane to Kansas. And I think you and I need to go out and celebrate this podcast. I mean, why wait until we get a million views on YouTube and it goes global? I think we should celebrate this moment right now. So are, are there any additional questions you have for me as we kind of wrap up? I'll hold up on that. And who knows, man, maybe we can revisit this and have a regular fireside chat uh, around different topics and subjects and leadership, sport and family and faith and, and keep it going. Well, I want to thank you, Wayne Simeon, for being a guest on the House of Bricks podcast, but more importantly, for your friendship over the last 15 years, your inspiration, your story, your faith, and how are you, you are continuing to grow in your professional career. You're leading an amazing family. You're an amazing husband, father, friend. And I want to thank you for being on the House of Bricks podcast. You've given us some incredible insights from some of the greatest coaches to ever walk the face of the earth. I appreciate everything you've shared with us today. So Wayne Simeon, thank you for being a guest on the House of Bricks podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Let's keep it going. <laughs>